everyone, and welcome to Minute 3 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-ki-yay our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today is Jake Blewett of Deep Blue Sea, the podcast. Welcome back to the show, Jake. Hello, thank you. It's been a lot of fun, and hopefully you'll be able to get that piece of luggage off the uh, carousel. Okay, I'm trying. It's, it's really jammed, isn't it? Yeah. It's because it's heavy. <laughs> Going back to what we were talking about yesterday, maybe you must have a body in there. I, I mean, I don't know what you've heard. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for Dell's trunk of to, not. to come off. Because yeah. there's definitely a body in there. Uh, <laughs> you want to make it two? Could be. Could be. Uh, Play your cards right. There you go. <laughs> Minute three begins with a demand finally getting his luggage off the carousel and ends with Takagi's speech, which gets cut off in the middle. So yesterday we ended with John McClane walking through LAX and standing near the carousel and sort of having himself crunched by the, you know, by the title of Die Hard <laughs> from both sides of the screen. <laughs> And we, we got a shot of a, a man trying to get a piece of luggage off of the carousel, but having a lot of trouble. But in this one, we see that he is able to finally get it off, but he still stays hunched over after he pulls it off, which I thought was pretty funny to to watch. Yeah, he's he's like fake struggling with it. Yeah, he, exactly. He's got it off and he's like messing with the handle, but it's clear it's all fine. Yeah. And then we see McLean just, uh, you know, standing around in the luggage area, you know, holding his uh, his a beige over overnight bag, and decides to uh, light up a cigarette, like a goddamn villain. <laughs> well, what does he think he's doing? In 1988, things were very different. <laughs> you were allowed to actually smoke in there. Now on planes, you were also allowed to smoke. They, you know, originally. You could always you can smoke on planes in any area, and then they sectioned things off in the 70s so that you'd have the smoking area, which I thought was really funny because you know it's not as if there's a wall there to keep the smoke yeah, from going forward. It's like the, the air stays back there with them, right? I'm sure course. that's how it works. Well, because of because of of centri- uh, what's it called? centrifugal? No, sorry, velocity that the smoke stays back or whatever. Yeah, must be, must be, must be, must be science. Complete, and and then in the mid '80s, they they began starting campaigns to try and stop smoking on planes and in airports. But up until the the early '90s, you were still allowed to to smoke both on a plane and in the airport. Now, the basically this this all was related to various laws that are either for the state or local laws or things like that. There were never any federal laws at the time as to where you're allowed to smoke and where you're not allowed to smoke. In 2002, there were 13 of the U.S.'s largest airports that were completely smoke-free. And eight years later, there were 22 of them. So it's not much of a difference, I guess you can say, within those eight years. You know, they they added, what is it, nine uh, airports that became smoke-free. But as of today, I don't, I don't think you're allowed to smoke anywhere on a plane. And most airports... not. I think most airports might have like a little room where you can go smoke or something like that. But, you know, you can't smoke in, in general areas when you're walking yeah. around the airport. That's for sure. 
So then uh, he, he starts looking around as he's taking a puff. And, and my biggest question is, is, what is he waiting for? You know, like we'll, we'll find out, uh, I guess, next week. You're not even going to be here for it. But we're, we're going to find out that, you know, he doesn't really have any plans as to how he's going or where he's going or things like that. That's it. Maybe he's not waiting. Maybe he's he's deciding. He's like, okay, so I need to get a taxi. But, I mean, should I go to the party? Should I go to Cappy's? in wherever Cappy lives. <laughs> Ramona. Ramona. Ramona, he says. Not Pomona, Ramona. Right. Okay. But always, and, I always hear it as Pomona. Yeah. And then as as he's waiting, we hear over the 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 PA system, flight two forty seven to Tucson, now boarding at gate fourteen. And she says it twice. And then she says then we hear her say, Mr. Edward Machowski, please report to the white courtesy phone. So first of all, I, I decided to look up. I mean, last last season I checked about uh, flight numbers and things like that. How they're they're usually not reused and things like that. So my biggest question was, okay, what is flight two forty seven and does it fly to Tucson? And apparently, it doesn't. <laughs> the only flight two forty seven that I could find is from United Airlines, which flies from Dulles to charlotte so it's washington dc to charlotte north carolina so basically you know that's that flight but it doesn't fly to to tucson so they, i guess they just made it up or maybe at the time there was something i tried to to, to look back in 1988 whether there really was a flight at that time but i couldn't find anything with that maybe they just uh, didn't care and thought nobody ever would they never thought that someone would be doing a second Movies by Minute podcast on Die Hard. You know, looking at it one minute at a time. Yeah. And so then it mentions Edward Machowski. So I decided to look up that name to see if there's anybody in IMDb or something. You know, like usually when, when there's a random name thrown out that doesn't sound so it's random. named after somebody. Yeah. It's usually named after somebody. Okay. <clears throat> so it's, it's not in the script. The script doesn't have anything about this. So, we you know. It's not something that came from from the screenwriter, so it must have been someone on production that decided just to throw in that name. I did a search. I found a whole bunch of people whose names are Edward Machowski, more than I thought I would find, but no one who seems related at all to the movie industry or anyone connected to it. I found like a a researcher who does like research on fish somewhere in in New England, somewhere in New England. And I found a whole bunch of uh, military veterans who also have that name. Uh, again, I have no idea who they're specifically referring to. So I don't know. <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> no, you don't need to help me. That's, uh, you know. And so he needs to report to the white courtesy phone. So what do you know about courtesy phones? Not a thing. Sometimes they're white. Uh... <laughs> No, 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 no. So Very a courtesy phone means. is a telephone that's located either in an airport or a train station or a hotel or many other places where there are a lot of uh, travelers where they're able to relay messages to a specific person. You know, so they would say on the speaker, you know, uh, Ed Machowski, please report to the white courtesy phone. So you, you have to walk around trying to find where this white white phone is. And, you know. Then they will tell you uh, your party is waiting for you at gate, whatever, whatever, whatever they, they're trying to say. Usually you start to find information or whatever about things like that. 
So the funniest thing is, is that, I mean, I'm assuming you've seen uh, Airplane. So Airplane makes so much fun of their courtesy phone thing. You know, telling people different, different colored courtesy phones and, and things like that. So, yeah, they do a nice job of that. And then we switch over to a completely different scene. We hear chamber music. And then we we see, uh, I guess you can, it, it looks like an office building on the inside, but it could also be a restaurant or something like that. It's it's hard to tell at the beginning what, what it actually is. The, the string quartet doesn't help. No, that goes not, to at the restaurant. not at all. And then uh, we see a Oriental man walk out of an office, buttoning up his jacket. And at this point, we get the on-screen credit for Alan Rickman. Who is not this man. Who is not this man. That is true. Now, I, I just realized we didn't even mention when we had... Did we mention the Bruce Willis credit? You did. Yeah. You did. Because it's, uh, it's on his arm. Um, ah, that's right. That's right. When he showed his arm. That's right. I forgot about that fact. It's been so long. <laughs> it's been a few hours. It's been a day. We talked about it. Uh, it's been two days. Yeah. yeah. That's true. And then uh, we we see the actor whose, known is, whose name is uh, James uh, Shigeta. I think that's how it's pronounced. Who plays uh, Takagi. He was born in 1929. Passed away in 2014 of pulmonary failure. Now, there's a little bit of trivia about who they wanted to originally play this this actor, this character. Do you know who it was? Uh, I do not know for sure, no. Who was it? Um, they wanted George Takai to play this character. That, okay, yeah. I suppose he would be the most, or amongst the most famous uh, Japanese-American actors at the time. Yes. And he apparently they, they sent the the request or the script to his production group or whatever you want to call it. And they failed to, to give it to him. And he apparently was very, very upset about this. <laughs> I can imagine. His, yeah. his agent, his agent mixed things up and uh, George Takai was not happy at all. I don't know how happy he would have been having his brains blown out later in the movie. That's well, that would have made like uh, uh, James. Do uh, would James, have changed James things? to get to, James does, does a great job on the film. I have no problems at all with his performance. But I think if if it was uh, if it was Sulu, there you'd have this. Uh, this is coming from somebody who has never seen the Star Trek TV series. I only saw the Star Trek films last year. But I just culturally, I'm aware of him as a character. Seeing him be killed halfway through the film would have so much more of an impact. That's true. I I think you might you might maybe hate Alan Rickman too much because uh, he's a He's not in my my bloody week here. A week without Alan Rickman, you bastard. Uh, (laughs) Well, you get his credit. You get his credit today. True. Uh, That he is Jay. It's the it's the it's the the price you pay for for getting you know the 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 first week every time. Yes, it's uh, it's my my lot in life. Yes. Uh, I I may never meet a bad guy. It seems. Uh, Well, well, I had Kevin Bacon for playing. There you go. And and Targo and, and and the commandant in uh, Great Escape. So I've had yeah. I've had the villains earlier. <laughs> um, uh, so Alan Rickman is a phenomenal villain in this film, but he's like a villain where you're not not necessarily on board and wanting him to win, but you you like him. Yes, you, he's you very want to spend time with him. So if he killed Sulu, that might affect that a little bit. Could be. 
So we, well, again, it didn't matter because you know his uh, Takai's uh, soon to not be agent made a big mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if he actually fired the guy. I mean, maybe. Well, it's not the first time this type of thing has happened. You know, we you hear it quite often that there are people who who are sent the script, and you know the 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 agent decides that they don't want it, and. Yeah. Well, I would like to think they would use it as a learning experience where George Kai would say, okay, well, give me scripts. Don't just fire him for not doing it once. Give him a second chance to not do it again. I don't know. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe this isn't the first time that he did it. Or maybe it was. Maybe. maybe. Right. So so James Shigeta has uh, 64 TV credits and 24 movie credits. He actually did voice work in Mulan. He was He played a vice admiral in Midway in 1976 but then there's there's a movie called the unbidden which is dedicated to him from 2014 but the most interesting thing i found was is that he has a credit for a movie that that supposedly and according to imdb came out in 1988 and there's a dedication uh, to to him you know in memory of but he didn't die in 1988 so this there was a I mean, his character did. His character, that is true. <laughs> that is true. It's, it goes back to another Star Trek uh, connection. He was in a fan film called Yorktown, A Time to Heal, which was a Star Trek fan film that was started in 1986, and they somehow got both George Takai and James Shigeta to be in this movie. Hmm. And... They had a lot of problems, and it was actually only released this past April. So, again, I don't know why. I, I wasn't able to find that it was released with bad special effects or whatever back in 1988, but I know that the full version was only released just a few months ago in, in the beginning of April 2022. And at that point, there are 13 actors who are the, this movie was dedicated to who have passed in the 34 years since the movie was made. So it, I found it to be interesting because normally you don't see older movies that are, you know, that have uh, in memorial, you know, for someone yeah. in memoriam for somebody who, you know, passed many years later. So then we, we get Takagi continue to walk. He fixes his tie and begins to talk to another executive in Japanese. We're not really sure what is he saying. And then the response is, how do you do? <laughs> And, you know, he's, he's the, the typical executive walking around greeting people. You know, he passes the, the four-piece uh, orchestra that are playing and, uh, yeah. you know, nods his head towards them also. Then we get the uh, Alexander Gudinov on-screen credit. Yes, I want to I pause on that one for a second. Because, Go ahead. Uh, there is a connection between Die Hard and Con Air. They share a cast member. Uh, which is not Alexander Gudinov, but it is Alexander Gudinov's stunt double. Ooh. Uh, who is uh, uh, Don Charles McGovern. He is the stunt double for Carl in, in this film, but he's also one of the buddies of Kevin Gage at the start of Con Air, who's the guy who, who Cameron Poe uh, kills in the car park. Uh, uh, Don Charles McGovern is one of his friends. So one of the guys beaten up on, on Nick Cage at the start of Con Air is the stunt double for Carl. Oh, that's really cool. Does he yeah. does he look like him in Kanye? Yeah. 
I mean, you look well, at him and you'd say, oh, that's, more like that's Carl. Connor, I think it's Carl in Die Hard. <laughs> I don't think it's <laughs> okay. Carl. Okay. I think it's just the same kind of build and haircut. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> he he's also in Die Hard 2, in the Blue Light team. But more on that later. Yes, uh, much later. <laughs> much, much later. <laughs> also in Demolition Man. Uh, okay. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he did stunts for, for like Rambo and and Rocky 3. He's, he's done a lot of Stallone work. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Well, Stallone was supposed to be in this movie. That's how apparently they hired him. Yeah. You know, and Indeed. then they said, oh, you know. And Hunt for October, talked about yesterday. He did stunts in that one as well. There you go. John McTiernan. Six episodes of Diagnosis Murder. <laughs> stunts in basketball. Yeah. Uh, storied career. Yeah, completely. Then we get the on-screen career of Bonnie Bedelia, who we will, we will talk about uh, later this week. And then, then Takagi takes out a, a bunch of index cards from his pocket and looks at them. So have you ever used index cards? Uh, I used them to revise for exams back in my school days. And uh, my, I had some for my wedding speech, um, but I, I eventually was, was off book for those. So I kind of learned the speech a little bit. Uh, I thought I did. Uh, it turns out I'd forgotten some bits. Uh, when it came to like checking the cards afterwards, oh, I forgot this whole section here, but it wasn't important. It's fine. Uh, so I haven't used them much. Uh, what what is the origin of index cards? Please tell me. Well, I first wanted to say how I've used them. So I used to <laughs> I used to actually have a little uh, box where I would put information about all the different videos that I had, and I would have index cards, and I would alphabetize alphabetize them. I was, uh, you know, I, I was crazy even as a kid. I, you know, it, that's not it crazy. Has, that's perfectly normal. <laughs> it hasn't worn off in the years since, you know, and, and I would have this little, you know, I, I remember I had this green little, little green box that I would open up and, you know, I had, you know, markers for each of the letters, you know, ABC, and you can flip through them and you can check to see what, what movies I had. And I put all the information on these index cards. Okay. I put on, you know, obviously the name of the movie. I put the names of the characters, names of the actors, the runtime, a whole bunch of different, I, I think I might have even written like a little synopsis of each of them so that if anybody, you know, wanted to watch a movie, I can just show them the card and they can then decide whether they want to watch the movie or not. Obviously, spoiler free. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so an index card is a, a or what, do you know what's called in England? Uh, note card? I don't know. It's called no. a record card. Okay. And in Australian, it's called a system card. Okay. All right. So it's a a card stock, which is heavy paper, which is cut to a standard size, and it's used for recording or storing small amounts of discrete data. A collection of such cards either serves as or aids the creation of an index for expedite, expedited lookup of information, such as a library category or back of the book index or Rob's movie list from when he was a kid. You know, it was the system was actually invented by a man named Carl Linnaeus back in 1760, which uh, I, I was surprised to see that, that it's something that's been around for so long. You yeah. know, he he was actually a scientist. He he created these cards in order to help with the information overload that was facing early scientists. I was gonna say that, that was that was before they had DVDs to organize. So that doesn't make any sense why they didn't invent them. Yeah, I'm not even talking about DVDs. I was talking about <laughs> videos, but yeah. Oh, yeah, That's they had those back then. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yes, video, of course. And then a 
1898, a man named Jan James Rand created the Rand Ledger Company with his son, James Rand Jr. And they were, they dominated sales of index cards throughout the world, throughout most of the 20th century. Now, after reading this, I do remember that, that I used to buy and it used to say on it Rand. So I found this to be very interesting. So having the name James Rand and giving that to your your son to be James Rand Jr. is so cruel that their initials are now JRJR. <laughs> well, apparently his his parents did the same thing to him. They called no, he was JRSR, right? Okay, that's true. Yeah. A little better, I guess. Yeah, and then then we get the on screen credit of Reginald Bill Johnson, who, as I mentioned earlier this week, I was a few meters away from. <laughs> that's as close as I got to one of the actors in this movie. And we see a huge Christmas tree that yes. goes Elf, from the floor that, that, that's like larger than a floor and a half because we're, we're sort of like on a half floor because there, there's like a balcony here where you can see onto the, the floor below. Yeah, this is very much a, a spared no expense kind of party. I mean, you know, there is a string quartet playing, at a Christmas, playing on Christmas yes. Eve. Uh, the part, I'm sure you're going to get into this over the course of this podcast, but this is a a company that is open having a party the night of yes. Christmas Eve. Because nobody has kids, <laughs> you know. That's a, they're all workaholic. I mean, we know at least one. I mean, there is a heavily pregnant yes. woman here. There is a, a lady with two kids at home. Yeah. Uh, there's dozens of people here. <laughs> and a string, like, how much is that string quartet charging to play? Maybe, maybe it's the in-house string quartet. Maybe they always have a string quartet playing all day, <laughs> every day. I would love that. <laughs> and today, so today, all they're doing is playing Christmas music. But every other day, they're playing other music. You know, soothing music for yeah, you know, it's like yeah, it's I, like what Google would do. You know, like I've I once saw like a video about you know the Google offices, all the different things that they offer. You know, their employees. They have in-house doctors, and they have you know tons of different. Uh, um, restaurants that they can eat in a cereal and, bar. You know, like they can, yeah. they, they basically they have, they have, you know, uh, you know, people can bring their kids to to work and they have places to put them, you know, where 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 the, where yeah, the kids will have fun and stuff like that. It's like the idea of Google was is and was to keep people in the office as much as possible so they don't have excuses to leave. You know, like oh, I have a doctor's appointment. Well, okay, you don't have to leave. You can stay on the clock and. And, uh, you know, just, just go over to the next building and, and see the doctor or whatever it is, you know. So maybe maybe that's so what they, they do. If they have a string quartet playing, maybe. if they have a string quartet playing, I'm going to get a guess, tw not 24-7. Let's say they're playing for eight hours a day. I hope that, that music is being fed into the <laughs> elevators. So you haven't got that, that music. It's So w when there's a, a couple of weeks time, you know, McLean will be yeah. in an elevator. See if he's listening to the string quartet. Oh no, he won't be at that point because that's post. They, they've already shut off the no, power of the, the music. There's no music. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a shame. Too bad. That's a shame. We we'll never, never know. know. Uh, we had a, a, a string quartet at my wedding, uh, so I, I like a string quartet. Uh, we had them playing throughout the day. That was fun. I had them playing the Jurassic Park theme. Did they really? Uh, that was nice. They played the theme oh, from wow. Up. Wait, what they did they play? They, when, they gave, what did they play they, when they, you they, walked uh, down the aisle? Did they play? Did they play Jurassic Park thing? Uh, they put, just to give her a little scare. No, that was, that was later in the day. It was a nice surprise. I, I got to pick the music they played before she arrived at the at the venue. Uh, so they played Bare Necessities, uh, the the theme from Forty Towers, the okay. uh, sitcom uh, with John Cleese, and uh, the Game of Thrones theme tune. 
Uh, I wanted to play the Reigns of Castamere from Game of Thrones. Uh, I was uh, shouted down from doing that, which you're not a Game of Thrones mm, guy. Not so much. I, I watch I it, think. but I'm not. I'm not. Uh... Well, the Reigns of Castamere is a song that is played immediately before a bunch of people oh, okay. are killed at a wedding. Is all I say there. So I was uh, not allowed to have them play that <laughs> at my wedding. Um, uh, but yeah, I picked uh, Jungle Book. Wait, the, was that the, the Red Thrones. Wedding? Okay, see, I, I've yes. seen it. Yes, I, yes. Yeah. I just didn't remember okay. the music from it. I, I love the opening theme of, uh, of of Game of Thrones. That that's music I love. Yeah, and I I just like I I knew uh, within the uh, the attendance who would like certain things, so I just kind of kept an eye out for who would work out what was being played at various times. So like my kept an eye on my grandma for forty right. hours. Okay, kind of cool. Uh, uh, but then yeah, the, we had the the theme from Up was our walking down the aisle music. The uh, you know the, the mm. as the house goes okay. up in the air. Cool. That, that theme. Yeah, I have, I have a good friend that, that they played uh, Storybook Love from uh, Princess Bride when his wife walked down the aisle. Okay. So that was yeah, fun. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I like, I like so Takagi begins his speech and he starts saying, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I want to congratulate each and every one of you for making this one of the greatest years in the history of the Nakatomi Corporation and probably the last. Um, everyone cheers. So I, I, hadn't, I hadn't noticed that one second, 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 before you get there. So, and then he goes on behalf of the chief, and then that's where the minute ends. But while he's speaking, okay, no, that's fine. While he's speaking, what what didn't you notice? Uh, well, it was his speaking uh, that um, him set him repeating the ladies and gentlemen, which is famous from Alan Rickman coming in, like ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. I noticed that Takagi has the same thing, the exact same rhythm to it which is it's gonna be fluke from for is it um, because of script writing hands repeating <laughs> that later like, it's good script writing but i mean for hands coming in and saying the exact same repetition and the same uh, uh kind of pacing because unless he's got a spy who's there who is the 14th terrorist Ooh. we don't even know about it's somebody Could undercover uh, but yeah, also we, we we see Bonnie Bedelia right. crossing the room. That's what I wanted to mention. I never noticed beforehand. that before. So yeah. you, you see during the speech that she she comes out of an elevator and she's looking at a computer printout and just walks through the room, not looking up, not paying any attention. Arms full of yes, paper. Completely. You know, so, completely not paying any attention to zigzag printouts, which, which is great. That that's the thing. I, I I I that's one of the things I love about movies by minute that you can. When you're when you're paying so much attention to what's going on, you can actually notice things that you've never noticed before, and it's just yeah, the frame is yeah. always full. and you can see how busy she is, which is great. You know, she's she's a workaholic yeah. on Christmas. That's Eve. right. But she's making up for that day. She won't be there tomorrow. Well, how do you know she's not going to be there tomorrow? Yeah. I hope <laughs> uh, so th- this isn't. I'm assuming this isn't set. This isn't filmed in. Uh, in the Nakatomi Plaza, no, only the uh, with the Fox Plaza. But I, I have been to the Fox Plaza. Uh, or I've been outside. Wait, the Fox were you Plaza. hanging from a uh, my, uh, a fire hose? Not, not in this instance, no. But um, it's it's in LA. Uh, it's in Century City. Uh, I visited there uh, just as a holiday with my parents. Uh, it's like a graduation present. And we were kind of driving down the road and we saw my dad and I like recognized that, oh, let's go and take a picture at the Nakatomi Plaza, the Fox Plaza. So we pulled into the car park around the back of it and I got out of the car to take a picture. And the security guards came out and told us to go away. 
that we were, we were shooed off of the property because of the, the number of diehard fans who do this on a daily basis. They, they wanted to save money and use their own building, and you know, they 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 might have regretted it. And they were plagued yeah. for decades afterwards by fans coming to take Could a be. picture of it. That's very possible. <laughs> so, I mean, one of the things we did mention the, the Christmas in 1988 was actually Saturday night and Sunday. Okay, so this would be Friday night. No, so that's even no. This is Saturday night. Oh, so Christmas, Christmas Eve is Saturday night. night. Sorry. Okay. So my point is, is that's even crazier that that you know she's still working on Saturday night. Uh, yeah. I mean, so everyone everyone is dressed up nice for the party. Do we think this was a working day for everyone that's turned into a party, or is this just people who have come back to work on a Saturday evening for a party? I, I, I don't know. I guess it's people who came back for a party, but uh, you know, Holly decided to come back and actually work. Who knows? Which, you know, she's she's uh, uh, a very uh, good business businesswoman. She's good at her job. She's always, always seems to be have, like, earned her position. Uh, so, yeah, it makes sense that she'd be busy and yeah. always working. It's true. So, you have anything else you want to say about this minute before I get into the script? No. Okay, so, I think so the script, the only difference is, is that they, they have a very long description of the of, of the room, you know, where this party is happening. So it says, close on a bottle of Don Perignon, as the cork explodes across a large office floor decorated for Christmas, a Japanese man, mid-50s, standing on a desk, holds up the bottle triumphantly and looks out at an adoring audience of junior executive and office personnel. He is Joseph Takagi, senior vice president of sales for Nakatomi, a multinational, national, a multinational corporation. And then he has his feet. Father and father. father. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the the only difference here is that he says for helping you make one of the, the, the he says, ladies and gentlemen, I congratulate Eric says, ladies and gentlemen, only once in the script. I congratulate uh, each and every one of you for making this one of the greatest days in the history of the Nakatomi Corporation. So they, they changed that to years in the thing. So that would imply that it was a working yes. day. Not just a working uh, a party. And then it says, in the background, obviously still at work, an attractive businesswoman in her mid-30s studying a computer printout heads towards her office. Does it describe the size of her hair? No, but that's 80s. You don't have to describe it. It's a given. It's it's implied. Completely implied. So nothing, there's nothing in in the novel that happens at this point where, which is connected to to this minute. So we're not going to talk about that. So Every Wednesday, we have Hans Hump Day, where my guests will give their top five Alan Rickman films. So, Jay, what have you got for us? Lots to choose from here from Rickman. Big fan of Rickman. Uh, I, I've got some nostalgic picks. Number five is one of them. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is not a cancel game. Christmas. It is a film I, I yes, yeah, it is a film I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy it a lot, mainly because of Alan Rickman's performance. It's unhinged. Uh, it is uh, chewing the scenery. It is glorious in a yes, possible way. It's a lot of fun. So that's number five. A spoon. Number four. Why I a lo- spoon. Give it more. I I uh, enjoy the Harry Potter films, regardless of their creator. And my favorite Harry Potter film. Uh, uh, he's perfectly cast as Snape. I cannot imagine anybody else yeah, doing Snape. Uh, so Goblet of Fire is my favorite Harry Potter film and book, which is. Uh, controversial in the in the rankings of films, I think a lot of people go prefer the uh, 
uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. I don't think that one's actually that great, but I, I enjoy the plot of God of yeah, Fire. Yeah, the truth is, I, I like God of Fire the most because of because it's of fun. the the competition. You know, the whole thing. Yeah, uh, it's got a strong yeah. plot. You can kind of tell what's going on, and you bring it in like Brendan Gleeson, uh, David Tennant's in that one. Uh, it's, um, yeah. it's a fun film. I'll enjoy it. Number t- number three on my list is Love Actually, <laughs> another film that I kind of get looked down upon for enjoying as much as I do. Uh, but there is so much to like about Love Actually. There's so much going on. So many different plots. The Alan Rickman plot is maybe one of the more aggravating ones because like you don't do that to right. Thompson. It's, it's, you, just, you don't. That's do- true. But I, I like everything. Like, if we're doing our, our, my favorite Bill Nye films, then I feel like it's be more justified because Bill Nye is fantastic in in uh, Love Actually. Uh, Alan Rickman is good, but also just a twat that you want to hate. Uh, number two is Die Hard, a film I'm sure you heard of before. Wait, what's that one called? Uh, was it? I'm not really sure. I've never heard of it. Uh, uh, Die Hard, uh, the the Detective oh, okay. Two. Oh, okay. I think it's called. Um, uh, love Die Hard. He's great in it. And uh, my number one is Galaxy Quest, a perfect film. Uh, I adore Galaxy Quest in every way uh, easily the best Star Trek film a film I saw before seeing anything else Star Trek related or Star Wars related I just Galaxy Quest is, is wonderful Rickman is wonderful in it uh, but didn't make my top 5 uh, but a perfectly cast role for him is uh, in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where he voices uh, Marvin the paranoid android uh, which is he just has the, the exact right voice and tone and diction for playing Marvin my favorite book, but not my favorite adaptation. I just want to give an honorable mention. Shout out to Hitchhiker. Okay, I'm, I'm not much of a fan, nor, not, not of the book, nor of the movie. But you know, we we can't all love everything. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> all right, great. You want to tell people how they can get in touch with you again? Yes. Yeah, so today's podcast that I'll plug is Lampody. I used to host the Lambcast, which is the uh, the official podcast of the large association of movie blogs. I still appear on it occasionally. And there is a, a spin-off, a, a monthly podcast in that feed called Lampity, which is movie trivia, started Jeopardy. Uh, always a lot of fun. We have Lamb members on to uh, to battle out in there for movie trivia dominance. Uh, Rob often submits questions for it. I'm very grateful that he, he does and that. He's I'm, on I'm also grateful for, that I don't for. <laughs> Yep. You're, well, you, you were very good once and then never again, it seems. Uh, so, <laughs> You're a sprinter rather than a marathon runner in Lampley terms. <laughs> but yeah, so if you just search for Lambcast, then there's a monthly Lampley post. So the other posts that go as well, Richard is doing a wonderful job hosting those shows, but Lampley's what you're really going there for. I think we can all yes. agree. Uh, so. Of course. That's the one I, I listen to Lampley as soon as it comes out. The Lambcast, it sometimes takes a few days till I want to listen to it. But um, it depends on the topic as well, because you need to like have watched the film or... So Lampity is, is evergreen. Always works. That's true. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Twitter, find me on Facebook, or you can go to our website. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay. Yippee ki yay. Yippee-ki-yay.